Well, a few weeks ago, um, I was reading an article from the BBC News. I don't usually read BBC News, but for whatever reason, I ended up reading BBC News, which, you know, British Broadcasting uh, Corporation. And they had an article about uh, third culture kids. And I was very fascinated by this article that talked about third culture kids. Um, now, I know for a lot of us in this room, uh, probably a lot of you, you're like, I am a third culture kid. <laughs> um, you're like, this is the whole makeup of our entire church. Um, so uh, for a lot of you, you really, you know, you understand what a third culture kid is. It, it's not really that abstract to you. Um, but I just wanted to continue to learn more about what it means to be a third culture kid. What, is it, what does it mean to um, for that type of person to relate and interact with life. And I was very fascinated by the couple things that I learned from that. Uh, the term, for those of you who are wondering, third culture kid, comes from uh, third culture to which the term refers is the mixed identity that a child assumes, influenced by both their parents' culture and the culture in which they are raised. So the, this started off uh, by talking about people who, for example, are expatriates, um, who might have, a, their parents might have a job in another seas, they might be American, they have a job in Germany, for example, and their children are being raised by American parents in Germany. Their culture is going to be influenced by German culture and the American culture by which they are being raised. And a couple phrases here um, kind of helped me, as I was reading the article, wrap my mind around the identity that someone who identifies as a third culture kid may identify themselves as. They may identify themselves more with the people that they are in relationship with rather than the place that they live. And the second one is home is everywhere for them, but also nowhere at the same time. And I found that very interesting as it relates to us being the church, right? Us being the body of Christ. It's like we are a third culture people, especially as you look at the book of Galatians. Now, just to recap what we were talking about in the book of Galatians. Um, in Galatians, we were going through, the Apostle Paul was writing a letter to the church in Galatia. He was upset and astonished that they were swayed by a gospel that wasn't the true gospel. There were people within the, the church in Galatia who were of one ethnicity of the Jewish faith, and they wanted to sway people to believe and become Jewish before they become Christians by the way of circumcision. And Paul was saying that is not at all the gospel. You don't have to convert to Judaism in order to become Christian. So he was very upset at the group of people there who were um, trying to sway the people to believe in something else other than the gospel. And he was equally upset because he was just there. He preached the gospel to them but they allowed other people to sway them. And I, as I read the book of Galatians, as I understood the book of Galatians, as I was pondering upon what a third culture kid is and what a third culture people would look like, I was very encouraged just to hear those words and those phrases. I was even thinking about, well, what type of people um, that we might know are third culture people? Um, for example, Barack Obama is a third culture person. Uh, Kobe Bryant <laughs> Boo, right? <laughs> Sorry. 
Sorry if there's Lakers fans out there. But Kobe Bryant, third culture person, right? He was born in Pennsylvania. He was raised in Italy because his parents, his dad was a basketball player in Italy. Um, You can think of many different friends and family that you have where you might be from another country, right? And you're living in America, being raised in American culture. And your parents are like, hey, like you're not fully whatever culture it is that you are. And you're more American than you are whatever culture it is that you, your parents are. And they get frustrated at you, right? Think about that as it relates to the body of Christ. We as the body of Christ, as I thought about reading that, reading that article, that we identify more with people more than places, and home is everywhere, yet nowhere. So I started thinking about us, the body of Christ being brought together. Uh, I was like, what brings us together? What binds us together? We are brought together by by our identity and relationship in Jesus not just our location, not just our ethnicity, and not just our cultural preferences. We are a culture in itself. So as I was reading the book of Galatians and looking through uh, the last eight verses in the book of Galatians, I couldn't wrap that concept out of my mind. I couldn't stop thinking about how we as a body of Christ are a third culture people. So today as we look through these last eight verses, I want to think about if we are a third culture people— then what do we identify with? What identity markers are there that identify us as a third culture people? So let's open our Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 11 through 18. Um, And we'll read those verses today, and we'll continue on as hearing what God wants to teach us through the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. It'll be on the screen if you do not have a Bible. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon you and upon Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. As I read these two verses, verses 14 and 15 really jumped out to me as identity markers for us, the body of Christ, as a third culture people. And that is that we boast in Jesus and that we are becoming a new creation by the power of the Holy Spirit. We boast in Jesus and becoming a new creation by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's walk through this text and see what Paul has to teach us this morning. In verse 11, he starts off with saying, See what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Now, what the Apostle Paul would do, normally at the beginning of, beginning of all his letters, he would say something to identify who he was and greet the body of Christ and welcome them to, with the letters. So he would say something along the lines of who he was and say something nice to them. Except when he starts off the, the letter to the Galatians, he's not nice at all. <laughs> he's, he's very upset at them for how they are not hearing and understanding the gospel message. And then usually at the end of all of his letters, 
Paul again writes a little specific message to the group of the people there. Because most of the time, it's written down by a scribe who's uh, writing down everything that he has to say. But then at the end of his letters, he writes down a little message for them. And when he comes to verse 11 in chapter 6 of Galatians, he's writing with large letters. When I think about that, I'm like, he doesn't want you guys to miss the point. He doesn't want you to miss the whole reason why he is writing this letter. So that, Paul then jumps in to what I would say then the, talking about the first identity marker as the body of Christ, we being a third culture people. And he talks about us boasting in Jesus. Boasting in Jesus. He starts off in verse 12 and he says, It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. Now there's a group of people who were ethnically Jewish who did not, uh, who believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, but believed, like I said earlier, that in order to be a believer in Jesus, you needed to convert to Judaism by the way of circumcision. And Paul was saying that these people were swaying the church, who were mostly Gentile, non-Jewish Jewish believers, into believing that you had to get circumcised in order for you to be a part of the body of Christ. And he wanted to call those people out, essentially, He's saying to them, it is those who make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. In other words, for them, circumcision wasn't just a way of connecting with um, people of their own faith. It was their way of boasting about themselves. See, look, look what I've done here. I, I can come to God and get closer to God by the works that I have done. I can get closer to God by keeping the law, keeping the commandments, um, and then Paul continues on and says, and, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. It's kind of interesting phrasing when you think about it. Like, what do you mean by Paul not, may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ? When I thought about that and as I studied that, I learned something interesting. See, for the ethnically Jewish people who Jesus was their Messiah, they learned about him, they came to faith in Christ, um, they, they've they, they wanted to walk with him by faith. They had the interesting way of trying to interact with their friends and neighbors who were ethnically Jewish but were not Christians. There's kind of these cultural and ethnic rules between Jewish people and Gentile people. For example, uh, a Jewish person was not supposed to associate with nor eat with a Gentile person. And I found that very interesting that the people who were of the circumcision group were pushing their Gentile believers to become circumcised in order that they can hang out with them and fellowship with them. In other words, they were operating under the Jewish law and not underneath the gospel. They wanted their friends to convert to their way of faith or their background before faith, before they can come and believe in Jesus. And Paul wanted to tell the church that this is not true. This is not what you have to do. You do not have to submit to another um, identity marker that is different than Christ if you believe in Jesus. Your identity marker is Christ. Your identity marker is not um, another religion that you are called to follow. And I love that when Paul says, in only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. In other words, when they were stepping out in faith and saying, I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ— I believe that this is true, and I'm going to eat with and associate with Gentiles, their own people pushed them away. 
They're like, you're one of us. Why are you associating with them? In fact, this thought was so big within the church that the Apostle Peter, the early church leaders, and Paul and many others got in a disagreement about how we're supposed to handle the Gentile people because they came from a Jewish background before they believed in Jesus. So they thought that everyone else had to have a Jewish background before they could believe in Jesus. It was so big in the church that, like, uh, in Acts chapter 15, you can read all about it. In fact, in Acts chapter 15, there's um, a couple of verses there I want to read to you as it relates to what we're talking about here. In Acts chapter 15, verses 8 through 9, it says this. Peter was addressing a council of people. And he said, And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now I'm going to read that verse, thinking about it from, uh, again, reading about it from a Jewish perspective as they talk about Gentile believers. So I'll add Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians in the midst of reading this verse so you understand it. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, the Gentile Christians, by giving them, the Gentile Christians, the Holy Spirit, just as he did us, Jewish Christians, and he made no distinction between us, Jewish Christians, and them, Gentile Christians, having cleansed their heart, Gentile Christians, by faith. How many times, anyone ever been in a room where you're having a discussion with someone? And, uh, well, actually, for me, uh, I've been, I have a few of my friends um, who, uh, like, one of my good friends is Taiwanese, and it was always funny every time I'd go over to his house, and I'd say hi to his parents and everything, and then immediately they turn to each other and start speaking <laughs> in Taiwanese to each other. And I'm like, are they talking about me? <laughs> right? You're like... I think they're talking about me. And then for me, I always felt uncomfortable. So I would always be like, okay, like, maybe there's something on my shirt, you know, or all these other things, right? It's very interesting to hear Peter address the body in this type of language. He's using an us versus them language. That shows you the cultural tensions that are happening in the book of Galatians. So as we were going through the book of Galatians, Um, this past fall, mixed within a lot of this, there's a lot of cultural tension and angst. That is why I believe a lot of the Jewish believers who were believing in circumcision as a basis of requirement for salvation wanted to ease their way or have a less persecuted way when they talked about why they were associating with Gentile believers who weren't of the Jewish background. But that is not the way of the gospel. That is not the way that we are called to live out the faith. Paul himself, in verse 17, says, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. Paul faced persecution for his faith. Paul stepped out in faith and, stepped and faced persecution for us. And the same is going to be said for us today. I was thinking about this when I was in college, uh, when I first kind of really started walking with Christ. I grew up going to church, uh, but in college, that's when my faith really started to take off. And I got placed in many different situations that caused me to either, um, you know, like hide my faith, hide the fact that I was a Christian, or really speak boldly about Christ and stand up for him. And I was no way in shape or form perfect. Um, There were times where I felt like, man, I could have said something here, 
spoken about Christ, but I was afraid of the persecution that I was going to face. I was afraid to boast in Jesus because I was going to face some sort of persecution. Um, there are other times where I spoke boldly about it, and I saw people come to faith, and it was amazing, and I just lit up with fire to see what God was doing through me. Well, as I continued to walk on, you figure like, hey, like, God showed up a couple times, I'd be good. But as I continued to grow in my faith and go to seminary and move to Denver and move to San Francisco, God continually had to give me boldness to share my faith. He was calling me out of my comfort zone to not be ashamed for sharing my faith. When I look at what's happening here in Galatians, in the letter, what's happening in the church there, the, the half of the body was ashamed of their faith. And I think at times for us, we can fall into that same trap. We can be ashamed of our faith. We can be afraid to what's going to happen when we share our faith. Because, well, the consequences, they're real. For some of you, I know even in this room, you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You've trusted him, and you've lost family connections. Your family doesn't want to talk to you. For others of you, you may have lost a job because you said, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and you spoke boldly about him. For others, you might have lost friends, you know, like you had your group of people that you hang out with, and all of a sudden you start talking about Jesus, and they're like, that is so weird. <laughs> like, I got that a lot when I first started uh, uh, walking with Christ. You know, I was hanging out with my friends, and I didn't want to do all the things that they were doing, and they're like, why aren't you doing this? And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to church. I'm reading my Bible. Like, I'm feeling very conflicted here. I'm like, but I'm going to walk with Christ. And they're like, you are so weird. <laughs> you know, and they still love me, though. But they still thought I was weird, right? <laughs> well, that's the thing that Paul was talking about here that these people didn't want to do. They didn't want to face persecution. And to him, it didn't make sense. He's like, I get beat up for my faith. I get persecuted for my faith. And he's like, this is not something you just push aside and hide away. And I think for us in this day and age, it's easy for us to hide our faith. It's easy for us to be in a work environment where you hear people talking about and bashing Christians, and you're like, yeah, I don't really want to tell them I'm a Christian. <laughs> I remember um, something happened, crazy happened in the news, and uh, I believe it was when that one family in, in Southern California, um, they, uh, they like basically trapped their kids in their home and they're doing awful things to their kids. And I remember Heather and I, my wife, were talking about that situation. And at her work, that, that uh, situation came up between coworkers. And they were talking about, man, these crazy Christians were doing blah, 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 blah. Like, I can't believe crazy Christians would raise their kids this way. And I remember Heather telling me, and she was like, I was like, I had, she's like, I had to say something. <laughs> she's like, I couldn't just sit there and be like, you know, this is how all Christians act. And she spoke boldly and said, you know what? Not all Christians act the way that this Christian family acted. Not all Christians live this way. And she got a great opportunity to share what a Christian family is like and to share how our family doesn't raise our children like the one that people heard in the news. And when I thought about that, um, I got really excited, and I smiled, and I gave my wife a, you know, pat on the back, all that kind of stuff. Because um, I was like, she was very bold in that moment. Because it's very easy when people are discrediting your faith to 
crawl back into a hole and not want to say anything, to be ashamed of the gospel. You know, I think of um, Romans 1, 16. Uh, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. I love what Paul is saying there. He's not ashamed of the gospel. And I think that sometimes can be very hard for us. And that's why he was writing so boldly to the group of people here. He's like, we boast in Jesus. We get to boast in Jesus. We don't boast in things of this world. I mean, it's really easy for us to boast in other things of this world, right? You get a good Christmas gift, what do you do? You're like, take a selfie with that gift, right? Um, <laughs> you get a promotion, you tell everyone about it, right? You like, we like to show off. If, you know, we look good, we like to show off we look good. Um, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Larry got that. There you go. Um, you know, all these different ways we like to boast about ourselves. But we're called to boast in Jesus. And if we are a third culture people, we are people who are, have a different identity, different than associating with what culture may say or what our upbringing may say, um, we identify with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we boast in Jesus. Paul here wanted us to boast in Jesus. And the second thing we see is that after we boast in Jesus, that's the identity marker for us, we also are becoming a new creation by the power of the Holy Spirit. I love that, becoming a new creation. Now, just for the record, if you're wondering, like, is, does being a new creation mean that God takes, like, a little bit of all the old stuff in me and, and bl blends it all together, and I'm some sort of hybrid of what I was in the past and what I am now? The answer to that is no. God's making you a new creation, a new person. But as we all know, it's a lot harder to actually live by being the new creation, right? And a lot of times, we still like to do the things of old. Paul talked about that a lot in, in the book of Galatians itself. Um, I'm remembering, particularly in uh, Galatians chapter 3, it was verse uh, 20, uh, sorry, uh, Particularly in Galatians chapter 6, uh, Paul here, he was talking about, in verse 7 through 9, he says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. I love what Paul is talking about there, because I think a lot of times, as we get closer to Christ, we recognize our sin more and more, and it breaks our heart more and more. I started thinking about that for me personally. There was just um, this, this past uh, fall, um, I felt like God was just growing my character, growing me into a stronger man of God, and um, a lot of times, like, when you, when you grow in different areas, um, I th you feel like you've arrived, right? Like, you're like, hey, I, I've got this area down, packed. And then God's like, are you sure about that? <laughs> Come a little bit deeper. <laughs> Come a little bit more closer. Like, for example, for me, I remember, um, you know, when I, I, when I first started walking to Christ in college, um, I was really into, like, money, right? Like, I like money. I didn't, like, feel, feel like I had a lot of money, but just the fact that I was good with money and that I didn't have to worry about bills, like that was something I wanted to strive for in life. 
Uh, so I remember this one point, uh, I believe it was my junior year, and I had $60 in my bank account. <laughs> and I, was, I had no job, uh, no prospects of a job. <laughs> and I was like, man, like, I still have to finish out the semester and do all these other things I want to do, but I don't know how I'm going to pay for stuff. And as I was going through thinking about my job and all that stuff, um, one day I was sitting in church, and I was like, you know what? God, I'm going to trust you when it comes to giving. So I, I did what was, you know, uh, now that I think about it, not wise, but <laughs> I was like, I'm going to give you $40 of my $60. <laughs> so I did that. Um, and then I, I did what every college student does when they're broke. I drove home <laughs> to my parents' house, and I was like, hey, mom and dad, I'm here for lunch. <laughs> and um, I went home for lunch, and I hung out with them, and a couple friends were like, hey, why don't you stop by before you come home? And I did that, and I stopped by my friend's house, and randomly she goes, oh, so are you looking for a job? And I was like, come on, like, yeah, I am. She's like, well, my dad's hiring. He wants to hire someone tomorrow for, to work at a car dealership. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, thank you, Lord, right? So I was like, answer to prayer. I'm like, this is great. So like, there is that. But then in seminary, I got to seminary, and I'm like, well, how am I going to pay for seminary? <laughs> like, Lord, I need, I need help here. Uh, and by the grace of God, I, I got a scholarship. So you're like, oh, things are good, right? I trust God when it comes to money, and I would boldly say I trust God when it comes to money. So then my wife and I get married. We moved to Denver, and uh, I had a job when I was going there, and upon arriving, I learned that they've, they lost all their money, and I'm like, oh, this is great. So I'm like, I'm literally driving, and I'm like, how am I going to tell Heather that we got no money? <laughs> we have a place to live. I don't know how I'm going to pay for anything, right? So um, along that way, slowly but surely, every month, and for about eight months, which is a long time, by the way, when you don't have money, every month, God will miraculously give me a job or provide income for me to help me trust him. And I've gotten to the point where I was like, man, God, I completely trust you when it comes to money. Like, you're showing me here that my heart is so still attached to the old way of thinking, the old way of life. I need to attach myself to your word and your truth. I need to trust you more in this. So you know what God did? He was like, you're comfortable in Denver? How about you move to San Francisco? Hey! <laughs> right? You thought you're good with money? <laughs> there you go. But enjoy your money is going to rent. Okay? So there you go. Um, and God has been faithful here too. I've trusted God with it. And I can honestly say that I am growing closer and closer with him. But for all of us, we all have different areas with God is asking us to go deeper with him in. God is calling us to a deeper relationship with him. We all have things that we hold on to, that we grasp for the past, that we grasp from the way that we were taught or the way that we were raised. Maybe not bad things, but we hold these things above Jesus. We hold these things above his word. We hold these things above walking with God through faith. And God's going to slowly take those things off of the, our heart so we can trust him more. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Sometimes it doesn't feel like that. Sometimes when you're walking with Christ, it doesn't feel like the old has passed away. 
But when I reflect upon my life and the way that God is uh, showing me his character and revealing my character flaws as I'm walking with him, I'm, I'm constantly reminded that as I'm getting closer to him, the fact that I'm recognizing the sin that's in my heart, the sin that's in my life, means that I'm listening to his spirit. And that is something I want to encourage you all with. If you feel like, man, I'm going through the burner right now. Like, I'm really struggling. I feel like, like life is good, but like God keeps bringing these things up in my life. <laughs> He's going to continue to do that. He's going to continue to work on your heart, to work on your mind, to regenerate your heart, to be connected with him because he loves you, because he cares about you. When I look at and reading this text, you know, verse 13, it says, For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised so that may boast in your flesh. They were boasting about all the works that they could do for God. Yet, those works could never save them. See, it's interesting. When I look at that passage, when I study what Paul was trying to say here, he was saying that by having this old way of religion, they wanted you to basically have uh, a, a works righteousness way of thinking about your life. Where as when you think about your faith, when you think about what the root of the gospel is, the, the root of the gospel is that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Um, they were giving people law and expecting a law to save someone. And when you look at what's happening here, it's that when we come to faith and we place our faith in Jesus, what's the first thing to change? It's not necessarily the outward, but it's the inward. God starts working on our heart. God starts to get a hold of our heart. God starts to change our heart. And as he changes our heart, then what is inward starts to come outward. And what they were doing is they were working from the outward and expecting that to change the inward, and it wasn't. It really wasn't. And that's the thing that we f- need to fight against. Sometimes we can go through all the motions, right? We can show up to church. We can read our Bible. Uh, we can say the right things. We can say hallelujah and pray for people. Um, but God has not really gotten a hold of our heart. Therefore, we're never truly going to change. If we're not truly going to change, then we're never going to see what Paul talked about being the fruit of the Spirit. You're not going to see examples of that. The reason why he speaks about the fruit of the Spirit is just an example to help you show you that you are walking with Christ. To give you something to put, wrap your mind around. Like, am I, am I really walking with him? It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing, there's no law. When God is getting a hold of your heart and he's making you a new creation, you will start to see how inwardly you're starting to change, and it's going to affect the outward and how you live. But if you, if you hold the law above that, Paul says, basically, you're condemned. You're condemning yourself by doing that. I like to look what, uh, in Galatians 2, verse 20, as I look back on the letter. Uh, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. At the root of the gospel is that we can't do anything to save ourselves from our own sinful nature. 
day in and day out, we live by the desires of our own flesh. We live by whatever maybe our upbringing may say, or maybe what our friends may say, or maybe what culture may say. And Paul wants to remind the church here, what he's reminding us also, is that we need to, when we, um, when we died with Christ, maybe dying to ourself, dying to the way of living life by our own way, by our own will, um, we become alive through his spirit. Daily, day in and day out, we have to die to self and ask the spirit to speak to us, ask the spirit to get a hold of our hearts. When I look at verse 14, Paul said, be far, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Verse 15, for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. I love what Paul is trying to say there through the book of Galatians. He talked about many different things. You've heard Pastor Mike and Pastor Ryan talk about many different things from the book of Galatians, uh, asking us to go deeper with him, asking us to go deeper with God through our faith. And I love it, but at the same time, I know it's challenging for us when we walk, when we walk through these things, when we actually take it to heart. I, I want to encourage you, as there's many things that you heard through the book of Galatians this fall. Maybe something stuck with you that you can't get out of your mind. Maybe you're like, you just feel like a heavy weight is over you. Um, I would say continue to press in there. Continue to press into what God is trying to show you. God is trying to make you and us into a new people. We, and that's going to take be a challenge because day in and day out, we're prone to do what's comfortable. We're prone to do what's normal for us. We're prone to live in our own rhythms and own ways of life. I love how Paul ends there. He said, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. In verse 16, um, at the end there, that, that phrase can get kind of uh, look glanced over. It says, as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, upon the Israel of God. That was normally a benediction said to the people of Jewish faith. And Paul there combines it, uh, adds a little bit of Christian, Christian uh, language to that, so that he's showing there that those who are of Jewish, Gen- Jewish uh, Christians, those who are Gentile Christians, you're now one together. He, and I think that's something beautiful for us as we, as we are becoming a new creation in Christ, as we are boasting in Jesus, we're becoming one together through his spirit. And I pray that will be something that we live out together um, in 28, rest of 2018 and 2019 as the body of Christ.